A few years ago, we grew and sold a business that forever changed our lives. At first, we really struggled trying to figure out which tools to use to help run and organize our community. But that all changed once we discovered Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part, Kajabi doesn't take a cut of your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So you keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash M-U. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash M-U. Go to kajabi.com slash M-U and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Build the prototype in PowerPoint. In PowerPoint, you can make slides that are interactive where you can click on it and it switches to the next slide, but it looks like you're clicking on a field. So you're building out a workflow in PowerPoint with zero code. I built a prototype and I took it to one of our customers. He thought it was running software because the way it worked. Hey, hey, what's going on, my fellow and future millionaires? Welcome to another episode of the Millionaire University Podcast, the school where you can make more money in one year than going to 12 years of college. Because the truth is, you don't really make money in college, do you? Before we get going on today's episode, can I just be vulnerable for a minute and share how I am currently feeling with you guys? I am so pumped and scared and anxious and excited. Just like you guys in your business, Tara and I have a big vision for Millionaire University. And having that vision is exciting. It lives in you and you're like, yes, let's do this. Oh, I'm so pumped. And then that vision starts to take shape. And while it's exciting, it can also be a little scary. And so for the last couple of days, I feel like I've been having my guts ripped out. On one side, I'm super excited and pumped to see what's happening here. And on the other hand, I'm like, Stop, my baby. Mama, mama, wait for me. Okay, I maybe watched Disney's Robin Hood a little too much when I was a kid. From the beginning, Tara and I have known that Millionaire University is so much bigger than just the two of us. And while we've created several multi-million dollar companies and helped hundreds of others do the same, we don't even begin to eclipse knowing everything there is to know about business. And there's no way we can grow this platform to what we know it needs to be by ourselves. So while it's been in the works for a couple of weeks now, 
literally, I'm looking at today's date. Today is August 2nd that I am recording this. It will be published tomorrow on August 3rd. But literally yesterday, we officially brought on Brian Guerin of Ricochet Digital Marketing as our first team member slash partner to help us with the growth of the Millionaire University platform. And for those of you who have been following us for a while, know that here at Millionaire University, we do not mess around. We believe in ready, fire, aim, take action where it counts, take it fast, take it often, bail forward, learn as you go. And so yesterday, as Brian's first initiation assignment, first thing in the morning, first day with the team, first day on the job, he did his first interview. <laughs> Now he's been on podcasts before himself, but he's never interviewed someone else. Now I had my calendar marked for the exact time I knew he was doing the interview. In fact, I could see in my software as it was being recorded and I was literally like kind of shaking. I'm like kind of getting anxious. I had to like walk around and it was like when we had our first son in the hospital, you know, kind of like that. Well, I'm happy to say that the package has been delivered and it's a boy. Okay, I'm kidding, but in all honesty, I think Brian did an awesome job. Now, when I heard that Brian was going to interview his good friend Apps from the EO organization about his company that does hospital risk management software, I was really concerned. But I got to say, after listening to it, I was so fascinated. Apps is such a great guy with a ton of knowledge, and together, these two absolutely hit it out of the park. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, and without any further ado, I give you Brian Guerin on his first ever interview for the Millionaire University podcast, along with the one and only Apolloni Apps Garcia with HealthGuard Risk Management. Take it away, boys. I know, but I want to share with our audience, how did you get into this business, going back to being in the Navy, serving your country? Where did it all start and how did you find your way into hospital risk management? It's a long story, but I'll try to make it as concise <laughs> as I can, Brian. I joined the Navy and in short order, I had decided I was going to make it a career. So I was planning on doing 20, 30 years and because candidly, I liked it and I was pretty good at it. I was a good sailor. I come from a military family and generation after generation of Garcia has served, mostly in the Army, but uh, I had to be a weird one and join the Navy. And so then I met this girl from Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah, after about two or three years, we realized that we fell in love. And we also realized that the Navy, and I think even the Marine Corps, even the peacetime is very challenging, very difficult to raise a family because we're deployed constantly. In the course of a four-year enlistment, I was deployed for over a year. I was at sea. So when you have kids, that's really challenging. So I made the difficult decision to go ahead and get out and focus on my family instead of my service. I also had a, a shipmate that his brother was in IT. There was a company called Novell. If, if any, any of those folks that are bald or gray like myself remember that company, they were one of the early pioneers in networking, computer networking. I realized I wanted to be a Novell administrator, even though my field was avionics and had little to do with actual computers, the way we think about computers. It was about weapon systems and navigation systems and working on the electronic and aircraft, fighters and you know anti-submarine aircraft, that type of thing. That's what I did. That's so cool. I decided I wanted to get out and I also decided I knew I wanted to be an IT Nobel administrator. I was lucky enough to get a entry-level job as soon as I got out. I had a company called Entex, which eventually was acquired by Siemens. I got an entry-level job by some folks 
that they liked me and, and they gave me a chance. And so I quickly worked my way up, busted my butt, got a bunch of certifications. And within a year, I was able to basically double my income because back then it was a greenfield in IT. And then I ended up changing jobs about a year later, moved to another company, a regional reseller called Sarcom. And this was about 1999, around 2000. I quickly rose in the ranks of this company, and I was a national practice director. And we had split off. This was when the dot-com bubble was going crazy. And we'd split up into four companies. We had a venture capital company that was providing capital to the organization. And we split up. And the idea was that we were going to go public with these four separate entities. We had Sarcon Classic. We had a company called Frontway that I ended up working with and a couple of others. And an e-commerce company, because e-commerce was all the craze back then, were off trying to build these companies. And then 2001 timeframe, the market bubble burst, right? The dot-com bubble just collapsed. And so they decided to shutter three of the companies and consolidate back into Sarcom, the mothership, if you will. At that time, I had already decided that I had a five-year plan coming out of the Navy that I wanted to start my own company. So coming out of the Navy, I said in five years, just as a mental note, I want to start a company in five years. Didn't know what that meant. I had no entrepreneur connections. I had no one that was in business that I knew. I just knew I wanted to start a company. And I don't even think I used the term entrepreneur. I just wanted to own a company. So this was about four years into my plan. The company was shuttered. I ended up having a handful of clients that I was working with that I became their trusted advisor. I was kind of their go-to guy for IT and kind of IT strategy. And because the company was shuttered, there was no non-compete. The assets were reacquired into the mothership, if you will. And the company I was working for was out of existence. So there was no non-compete. So I sat down with each one of these customers and said, hey, I'm thinking of starting my own company. Will you work with me? And every one of them, the three or four that I sat down with that were my core clients, said yes. And I even had one company that was happened to be a hospital system that prepaid. They prepaid for services that basically was my starting capital. So I was extremely fortunate to have these relationships, to have the trust of these people, of these organizations, and me, even though I never run a business before, I didn't even have an LLC started at that point. I just, just had a candid conversation, let them know what happened and what I was planning on doing, tested the waters on their interest. And again, they all said yes, and they started paying me. So I continued kind of business as usual, and I ended up building a small team. And back then, it was before we were focused exclusively on healthcare and, and within cyber and risk and all this stuff. But, but over the years, what's ended up happening, Brian, is we kind of morphed into a general IT support services company that had a security component. We moved more into cybersecurity. And over the course of the years, we evolved as the company. The actual legal name of the company is CAPC Group. That's what I started. And those initials are the initials of my wife and kids. C-A-P-C, Claire Apollonio and Patty. I found a domain name. I submitted my paperwork to the Ohio, you know, the state to establish the company. We were off and running, right? So there wasn't this complex business plan. So for the folks that think you need some long, extensive business plan to start a company and do it for 20 plus years, you don't. If you're going to raise capital, you probably need a plan. If you're going to look for a loan, et cetera, you're probably going to need a plan. And I'm not implying that planning is not important. I'm suggesting, though, the most important thing is a customer. I was lucky enough to have a customer from day one. I had several customers. And before you have a plan, before you have anything, the most important thing, in my opinion, to have a business of any sort is a customer. Once you have a customer, you have a business. If you don't have a customer, you don't have a business. 
you did it in such an awesome way. I think a way that is often overlooked by a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, a lot of aspiring business owners these days is you feel like you just need to quit what you're doing and just hop into something new or hop into something that you haven't even done before, which is fine. Plenty of people have done that. But the way you did it was you acquired these relationships at an existing job where it sounded like it was a great job for you, but there's avenues where if you're working in an existing industry and an existing job and you enjoy that area or at least enough to build these relationships, there's a way to find opportunities towards your own business. I think that's an often overlooked way is people thinking they just have to go blindly into something. You can start from within. And that's kind of what I did with my agency. I had a day job where I was primarily working sales, but I started taking myself into marketing. And then I started talking to people. I started learning it. So it was something that I did on the side. But in your case, that's a fantastic way, a very opportunistic way for you to find those first clients. And then the really cool thing you mentioned was the fact that that one client, that hospital system prepaid, which served as your seed money. That's amazing. That must have been just cloud nine when you got that. Yeah, I didn't ask for it. It was completely unexpected, but they had trust and faith and confidence in me. So we were extremely fortunate and I'll be eternally grateful for all the customers, but especially them that helped seed the company, if you will. Yeah. Is it that client that kind of guided you more towards hospital risk management? Because you said you were more so in IT and then into cybersecurity. Was that all still for businesses that weren't necessarily hospital systems, except for that one? How'd that pan out? One of the things I'm constantly doing, and I think all business owners are doing, is just kind of assessing the market, right? Both competitively, but also from an opportunity or need. And because we were partnered with these organizations, and candidly, we explored, we had several different customer types. We had people that were in finance, Wall Street type organizations. We had people that, customers that were in family offices for high net wealth family offices. We had hospitals, healthcare. So we had this mix of customers. And I actually explored what's a business opportunity? Could we specialize in serving high net wealth families? And I explored that as a possibility. I explored looking at the financial sector, right? Uh, banking and finance, and obviously healthcare, which is where we ended up. And it was a matter of where do I see the need and where do I think we could apply our resources, our skills, our talents, and serve these organizations? So what ended up happening is we ended up leaving these other called verticals, even though there was no master plan. Again, I didn't have a business plan that said we're going to do these things and market to these organizations. Over the years, I've come up with different versions of that. But back then, I didn't have it because I don't have an MBA. I didn't go to business school and I've never run a business. So it was just kind of using gut and instinct. And I'll also make a quick plug for an organization that actually was instrumental to our longevity and really helping me get my on-the-job training as a business owner. It used to be called the Center for Entrepreneurial Education. It was founded by Clay Mateel, who's the gentleman that built up IMS, the dog food company, and sold it to P&G for $3 billion, as the story goes. Clay Mateel was is an amazing business mind, and he gives back to the community. And he started this organization, the Center for Entrepreneurial Education, just to do that, as one of the early organizations that was focused on educating entrepreneurs. They rebranded and are now called Aileron. I believe it's they're up in Tip City. He bought a farm and built this amazingly beautiful campus that's just there for one thing, is to serve entrepreneurs and small business people. So there's other organizations like the Kauffman Institute, and obviously Millionaire University is looking to serve the same community. There's a lot of resources, and I would highly recommend, again, just as a side plug, is 
regardless of which one you use, tap into those folks, even if you don't have business experience per se, if you've worked in one silo in business or one job type, and you're trying to round yourself out, tap into those resources, educational resources, especially for the lonely job of entrepreneur or founder or CEO, whatever your title is, well worth the investment and even money. But I'm going to turn off the plug now for you know educating yourself. <laughs> no, I mean, I appreciate that. That's such a huge part of the entrepreneurial journey. You know, when we hop into this, so many of us think we have to do this ourselves and learn on the way. There are so many people out there. And obviously, this is what we're hoping to do with Millionaire University is if we can help even a single entrepreneur go from step one to step 10, just by educating them, instructing on how this type of thing in this business works or how to do X, Y, and Z. There's so many resources out there that are available to help you learn quicker and get you to from point A to point B and beyond a lot faster. We appreciate the plug for sure. Fast forward, going back to the journey here, is we went into healthcare. And initially, we were in networking and security. We were big into Cisco back in the day. And we became really strong in Cisco security, Cisco network security. And so we built million-dollar networks for organizations and helped them upgrade their networks and do it securely years and years ago when security was nothing the way it is today, which is on top of mind. Back then, security would never come up in a board meeting. Cybersecurity would never come up in executive presentations. Now, it's at least with our customers, it comes up continuously. Now they want reports from chief information security officers or CISOs. Back then, it was relegated to IT and six layers deep in the organization. So as we narrowed our focus into security and healthcare, one of the things we saw was that there was, again, a huge gap need for risk management. Cybersecurity and risk management, like compliance, are close cousins, but they're not the same thing. Risk management is a specialized skill set and process that complements cybersecurity, but it's not the same thing. So we saw a need for helping organizations better manage risk. And it just so happened also that HIPAA required risk management and risk analysis. And so people have struggled with this for years. And I'll give you a quick stat that's kind of scary. Back in 2020, Department of Health and Human Services released a report. And, and they're the people that are responsible. And actually, the division of HHS, OCR, the Office for Civil Rights, are responsible for the enforcement of HIPAA, HIPAA security and HIPAA privacy, the regulation. And they did a study and they found, and this came out in 2020, that 95% of covered entities, which are the people that have to comply with HIPAA, hospitals, et cetera, are not meeting the basic requirements for risk assessment, risk management. 95% are not meeting, are not compliant with the law wow. of the risk analysis. So back to one of your earlier questions, that is part of what we're trying to help fix. We're trying to help address that and not only make people compliant so they can check the box and stay compliant with the law, but also to make sure that they are effectively analyzing and communicating risk so they can make better informed decisions about how to allocate their resources, et cetera. We saw that need years ago, and we started building our software. And this was an interesting journey as we pivoted in from a consulting company and reselling other people's software and products to building our own software and selling that and servicing that exclusively. We no longer resell Cisco. We no longer resell other people's stuff. Again, it's been two decades now. We've kind of transitioned and morphed going from an IT company, general IT, into cybersecurity, into healthcare, consulting and resell into a SaaS company that 
provide services. Again, we, the new buzzwords I've heard that I gravitated towards is tech-enabled services. That's how I describe us now. We're a tech-enabled services company. That transition and learning how to be a software company, which is a lot different than a consulting company, has been you know a whole new learning experience. And I've been fortunate enough, we've got a small team, but I've got arguably, I'd say, the best team in the world. The folks that I have working with me, I can't sing their praises enough because they've made all of this possible and, and they're just as passionate and focused on solving these problems as I am. Shopify has already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash MU, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash MU to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash MU. More and more entrepreneurs and investors are discovering the awesome franchise opportunities that exist across a variety of industries. Franchising can simply be the better path and interest in franchising is at an all time high. Lucky for you, John Austinson, founder of FranBridge Consulting and a past Millionaire University guest is here to help you explore the premier franchise opportunities today. John and his Frambridge Consulting team are part of the largest franchise brokerage in the U.S. and have vetted the market thoroughly. Frambridge is hands down the premier source for the best opportunities in the franchise world, including both active and passive opportunities. From tiny homes to youth soccer to industrial hoses to pets, senior care to mental health, and more. John has served as an Inc. 500 franchisor and is a multi-brand franchisee himself. And he does more placements than anyone else in the country. Sign up for a free consultation call with John today or get a free copy of his book, Non-Food Franchising, at FranBridgeConsulting.com. That's FranBridgeConsulting.com. Available in the U.S. and Canada. You've played right into my next question. Since you've moved into being a SaaS type of company, developing your own software, selling it as a service, that's probably streamlined your operations, but how did you develop this software? Did you physically program it? Were you on the team? And you said you had a fantastic team. So what was the process of getting into a from concept of let's develop our own software to actually pulling the trigger on that? Tell me if I'm wrong, but that's a pretty big undertaking, right? Oh, it's huge. I've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into building our software coming out of, they call it bootstrapping, used our profits from the company to build this software, which is a risk. I've made the investment instead of buying a new house, I'm building software. Most people wouldn't do. Most people would say, no, get the new house. Say, no, I'm going to build the software. We're crazy like that. Entrepreneurs. Yeah, we're crazy like that. Entrepreneurs. <laughs> there was a series of fortuitous events that happened. One was I met a gentleman who was a technical founder of a company and I had lunch with him. I still remember this conversation. 
This was years ago, years before I really decided to build the software. And I was talking to him about how did he build his thing. And he said, talk about prototyping and this stuff. And this was before I read lean startup books and, and scaling lean and even the customer education stuff by blank off in Silicon Valley. But the simple principle or concept idea that he gave me is build the prototype in PowerPoint. In PowerPoint, you can make slides that are interactive where you can click on it and it switches to the next slide, but it looks like you're clicking on a field. So you're building out a workflow in PowerPoint with zero code because I'm not a developer. I can't even do the basic hello world where you have it say hello world. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You learned it in high <laughs> yeah. school. I can't even do that at all. I used PowerPoint. I built a prototype and I took it to one of our customers and I sat down with them. His name was Harold. I said, Harold, he was a security manager for a hospital. I said, Harold, here's the problem I think you have. I've worked with you for years. Here's a problem I think you have. And here's what I think you should do about it. Look at this prototype. He thought it was running software because the way it worked. I was clicking on stuff and I was moving around and navigating, going from field to field. And it looked like a working application. He says, apps, you know, where's this running? I said, no, it's not running anywhere. It's PowerPoint. And he was flabbergasted by that. My point being, though, is when you're building an idea, you don't have to invest anything in validating the idea. This is one of the basic concepts of lean, that minimum viable product kind of concept that was one of my more transformative ideas in building software. That was the first one is building that prototype. It took me probably three years, maybe two years to actually make the decision, even though I got good feedback from a couple of customers saying, yeah, we like this. Yeah, we would probably buy it to actually building it, right? To making the decision to actually start investing. And that was another fortuitous thing. One of my previous customers, he was a CIO for a, a local university and they had been outsourced. The entire IT department had been outsourced. So he was looking for a job. So I offered to have a breakfast with him, a coffee, if I can see I could help him, connect him to my network, help him do some searching, whatever I can do, because he was a great guy. When I was talking to him, we realized it wasn't a fit between us. But as I was describing my project that I wanted to work on, start building the software, he said, oh, I've got a guy that was my lead developer who was also laid off because of this outsource. And I, I would recommend him more than anyone. This guy's name is John. And I said, great. I'd love to talk to him. He goes, oh, there's one thing. He's moving to Vermont tomorrow. I'm in Cincinnati. He was moving to Vermont. And I said, okay. He says, you still want to talk to him? And so he literally called him on the phone. We're sitting in a Starbucks. He called him on the phone, put it on speaker. I introduced myself to John. We set up a meeting the next day before he left town. I brought him on as a 1099, a contractor for about three months. I realized how awesome he was. I brought him on full time. And that was the beginning of my code. Again, I haven't written a single line of code. All I'm doing is acting as product manager, wow. taking customer needs and feeding that to the development team. And now we have a couple of developers here. We have some folks that are offshore. We have a fantastic partner in India, which was a whole new experience, trusting someone across the globe to take our IP to work with us. And building this. And plus, we're a security risk management company. That's what we do. So risk and security is important to us and to our customers. We went through a vetting process with that partner. I mean, so, so the journey has been really, it's, the whole thing's been four or five years now, and it's been a tremendous learning experience building a more scalable company versus a services consulting company. That's my goal is to solve these problems at scale across the country. It has been a learning experience every single day. Well, and one thing I want to touch on, you mentioned that, hey, you're not a developer. Same as me. I don't know any code from any other code. I tried Code Academy 10 years ago just to see if I could do it. And I was like, nope, can't do it. <laughs> but when you're running a business and you're running the show, 
it's up to you to take that business forward. And for the areas that you don't have the particular skill that you need, you have to be able to delegate it out, hire it out, find the right person, right partner to bring aboard, right contractor to get the job done and then direct them on it. And that is one of the hardest things, in my opinion, that a business owner can do or has to do. And that so many business, I've met working with small business owners, I've met a whole lot of them who have a very hard time delegating, whether it's to their own employees, to their own contractors, to vendors like myself. You know, when they hire my company to do their marketing, they have a very hard time just letting the expert do the expert stuff. So that sounds like it was something that you had to address and knew from the get-go that if we're going to do this, it's not going to be from me. I'm going to direct it. I'm going to lead it. But the actual fulfillment is going to get done by a trusted partner. What an awesome kind of happenstance meeting to find John, right? Yeah. Your point about delegation, I'm not going to pretend like I'm perfect at it. What was nice about this particular delegation is I knew I can't develop a single line of code. So it made it a lot easier. It was challenging and scary because I'm trusting someone to build something that's very, obviously, a lot of money has gone into this platform, but also our customers are relying on it. There's hospitals using our software now. That's from someone that can't actually go in there and troubleshoot something. That's scary to trust. But again, because of the relationship and because of the person and team that I have, I trust them implicitly, 100%. So it was easy to delegate because I couldn't do it. There's other parts of the business where I can do it. So I, on occasion, I have to remind myself not to stick my hands into the soup and let people do their job. The challenge, I'm going to make another quick plug and I think I mentioned this to you in the EO group, is there's a book called Who Not How. And it talks about the idea of instead of trying to figure out how to do something, most of the time you should be focused on who can I work with to accomplish what I want to accomplish, solve a problem, pursue something, an opportunity, et cetera. The book talks about really fostering relationships and enabling partnerships and tapping into other people's strengths. They can do something a lot better than you. They can do something a lot more efficient than you. Case in point, where I've been working for years now on helping and maintain and update some of our marketing, including our website. Well, it takes me probably 10 times as long to work on our website and maintain some of parts of our website that I think that are important to me versus just hiring someone. I'm less efficient and I've got better uses of my time as a business owner. There's things I should be doing. So Obviously, you have to have capital to be able to do that. This book is fantastic in helping you kind of explore that and really kind of transition that paradigm shift into it doesn't have to be me. I need to find the right people and then have them figure out the how, right, which was part of the coding exercise that I did out of necessity. Yeah. And it's a mindset shift at the end of the day, because when you start up your company, it's like I said, it's your baby. And it's true to this day. It will be for all of time. Nobody will love your business as much as you, the founder and CEO, do. And that's true. But that doesn't mean there can't be plenty of people who really, really like your business and who you end up supporting with your business. Therefore, they're going to like it a whole lot more when it's their means of support. So I love the, in that book was Who Not How. Who wrote that? I don't even remember if you just Google Who Not How or Amazon search, you'll hit it. One more note on that too. And this is from Clay Mateel. I mentioned him earlier. He talks about this idea of, needing to transition from technician to manager or CEO. A lot of us, and I was guilty of this, and it sounds like your, your situation as well, you were a technician that had a skill and a craft that you were able to market and sell, that you turned into a business. In order for you to grow your business and run your business effectively, at some point, you or somebody is going to need to get out of the technician role 
and start working, as they said in the e-myth, work on the business instead of in the business. So that transition from technician to manager or transition to CEO is actually vitally important. And that's another tidbit of advice. It's not my advice. It's something that Clay mentioned. And again, this is a guy that built a $3 billion company. He sold, kind of knows what he's talking about. All the thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs that he's worked with and his organization has worked with, and this is something that he sees continuously. So I would plant that seed in folks' mind as well. It's absolutely true. And in my own business, I'm still on that journey of I've made significant strides in being able to hand off parts of my business, but it is hard to do because there's so many things you take into account, whether it's the capital on hand, the talent that you're bringing on, can I trust who I'm bringing on to work with these clients in the manner that I would? It's not just a flip the switch one night and get after it. It's a developed skill and it takes time, but it's vitally important if your goal is to scale your business, regardless of where you're starting it from. What does the field of risk management look like for you today and as you see it over the next one, two, three, five years? I mean, right now, you know, we've been doing something called risk quantification for a while now, probably a decade. We built it into our software. We're actually able to build probabilistic models. Stochastic models is kind of the nerdy, you know, of risk. And that's been very, very powerful. We will continue to do that. But I think the next three to five plus years, obviously, AI is changing the game in every industry. I imagine over time, using computational power versus human brain power is going to continue to shift and evolve the market. We're going to try our darndest to keep up with that and and to make sure that our customers have advantages of efficiencies from AI and, and even some of the machine learning out there, helping organizations manage headcount. So instead of always having to throw people and bodies at problems, again, be able to use the technology to gain those efficiencies for healthcare, that is vitally important. Again, our, our customers are facing tremendous headwinds. They need to manage their risk, but they also need to manage their bottom line and their balance sheet. They're under tremendous financial pressure. So for us to do them a service, we need to keep up with that. We need to find ways to help them be more efficient. And again, technology is going to be a huge component or a huge variable in that. So that's where I see it and where I see us going. AI in terms of your software, is that something that are you either in the process or at least in the education process of beginning to work with your dev team on the very specific areas within your software that AI could make improvements? Is that kind of where you see AI going with HealthGuard? Or is there more of a broader thing that I can't even wrap my head around yet? It's definitely in our software. And there's opportunities to leverage it. Something as simple, I'm doing air quotes here, simple because it's not simple, is reporting. A director of internal audit or VP of internal audit at a hospital, they have to provide regular updates to their board and executive team on the status of their audits and their audit plans. So they go in and look at various parts of the business, identify potential issues with control deficiencies. They work with management to develop plans. Well, just something as simple as writing those reports is very time-consuming and tedious. AI does, as you've seen with ChatGBT, with tools like Grammarly, can help tremendously and gain efficiency just with that. Now, if you take it to a more extreme Again, the modeling of risk, the the, the analyzing and computing and estimating risk across the enterprise on big data that they have, all the information they have, and and build predictive modeling, that's another piece to help them identify potential hotspots in the hospital 
that, that could lead to harm or loss or lawsuits or whatever. That's a whole other, much more complex problem to solve. But all of that's fair game, in my mind, of how can we leverage AI? We're still in the early exploration. There's some companies out there promoting that they've got the silver bullet with AI. AI enabled this and that. I'm not so convinced they do. A lot of them are black boxes. They don't let you really look under the hood. What you always want to be able to do is analyze the model and understand what's called model risk management. But that's you know another conversation for another day. AI, obviously, as everybody knows, it has a potential to be, it already is wildly impactful on business in general. I know on the marketing side, probably 75% of the continuing ed stuff that I do is focused around AI and how I can implement it in marketing with my business, with Millionaire University and for our, my and our clients. How can we improve processes and make things simpler, make them quicker at the end of the day to benefit the clients and benefit their bottom line and to save us time? Time is money. That old adage is very true. And if AI is going to be there to help us do things a lot quicker, then I'm here for it. And thank you so much for joining us. Folks can check out your business at your website is healthguardsecurity.com. If you want to learn more about healthcare, about risk management, having you on the pod here, I was like, this is kind of a business that most people wouldn't really think about, but that's the really cool thing about entrepreneurship and owning a business. There are so many hundreds of thousands of fields that you can go into, have your own business, run your own show and do really well, just like apps is at HealthGuard. So really appreciative of you coming on, sharing your time, sharing your story, really incredible story coming from the Navy and owning your business here. So Thanks again, buddy. Really appreciate it. Brian, been fantastic. Thank you so much. Let's give it up for my man, Apps of HealthGuard Risk Management Software. Not to mention my man, Brian Guerin, slaying it on his very first interview. Not too shabby. At the beginning, Apps mentioned how he was fortunate. And I love that perspective. We should always be grateful for the things that come our way, the opportunities that we have. But I want to point out that Apps didn't just get lucky. It was all part of the plan. He was looking and preparing for the opportunity. Luck is where preparation and opportunity meet. And the truth is opportunity is everywhere. So as you're looking for it, as you're preparing for it, it's going to find you. And it's going to find you again and again and again. All you have to do is act on it. And that's what apps did and continues to do. And therefore opportunity continues to knock on his door time and time again. Opportunity doesn't knock once in a lifetime. Opportunity is always there at the door. You just have to open it and step through and start changing your life because that choice is 100% up to you. If this is your first time listening to the show and you liked what you heard, please be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you're listening now. If you're a longtime listener, be sure to share this episode with a friend. I was just talking to my kids and sharing with them all the amazing things that they can do in this life. And I was sharing with them how literally in the last like five days, I've learned three different skills. Now, some of these are things that I kind of knew somewhat from before, but essentially I learned a lot more about how to grow a podcast and find sponsors for a podcast. I learned or relearned how to hire a VA and we are currently in the process of doing that. And I've learned a ton. I've basically given myself a masterclass in SEO and blogging or written content creation. Like it's amazing what I have learned in just a few days. And this is on top of us moving and having family here and creating the podcast and doing editing and planning our trip around the world and everything else we have going on. Tyson's helping us do some 
finalized touch-up painting before we move out. And I was sharing this with him as well. And the fact that the device he has in his pocket and those earbuds around his ears are way more valuable than any university, any college, well, except for Millionaire University, of course. We're talking about better than any traditional college. And you can learn so much, so fast. And then you just gotta take action on it and change your life forever. Not to mention I've been talking and brainstorming with Brian on how we can continue to grow our email list. And we have a goal to grow that to over 100,000 people over the next year. So not only are we gonna be helping you grow your business, but we are gonna be sharing with you everything that we are doing here at Millionaire University to grow ours. So stay tuned because we are just getting started. But for now, plus dismissed.